Okay, guys, um, Mr. Wong, how you doing, brother? We're back at it again. Um, this week's guest, we have Mr. Andy Shepard, who is uh, the presenter extraordinaire, um, just talking about his life, his upbringing, but also, more importantly, with regards to his, his uh, goal and tenacious attitude towards actually getting where he is today uh, as a presenter on WWE. Um, I've known him for quite a while, uh, another energetic person that we've got um, speaking. So, without further ado, let's introduce Mr. Andy Shepard. So listen, mate. How you doing? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Like, it's, are we? What week is this of lockdown? It's like week nine, I think. Um... I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, mate. No, I feel very. I think this is one of those times where you can kind of reflect on a lot of things, and I feel super fortunate to be able to still be doing some aspects of of what I do during this time. Um, mm. And it kind of makes you think about what's what's important, what's not important. But at the same time, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know myself, my missus, a lot of people I've talked to, we've all had little wobbles during this time. You know, if mm. someone had told me, oh, you just got to sit at home and chill for however many weeks, I'd be like, oh, okay, that sounds quite easy. But actually not be able to see my friends and family, not be able to, you know, move from the square mile I live in, all those things. At some point in this period, it's kind of, you know, had little kind of wobbles, but, but yeah, mate, in general, good. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm fortunate, I'm healthy, um, so yeah. Mate, I, I went through, um, I went through Labbert Grove, your manor, um, uh, about a couple of weeks ago. Where's the phone call? Where's the oh, phone mate, call? Social distancing, mate. Oh, I was am... it before, was it before we had to have two metres apart? And I, okay, well, I'll let you <laughs> I thought it was two miles apart. <laughs> <laughs> but West, West London is like, uh, it's super different, man. It's like compared to like, say like East or even South, it's like, there's way more police over here. And it's like, there's way less people on the street. And uh, I went into West London and was like, man, Dude, it's like it's like going into carnival, <laughs> you know, the back end of carnival. You know, yeah. it's like people yeah. are still out there. Like loads of people are still out there. Like if Westfield like was still open. Yeah, it felt like a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty quiet around where I'm, I'm at, at the moment. And then mm. a couple of weeks ago, it felt like I think one weekend we were just out going for a walk, and it felt like people had almost. I think it was the the weekend of Boris's, uh, you know, speech where he kind of said we're going to ease things a little bit. But it was yeah. just Saturday It felt like people had kind of had enough for lack of a better term people have sort of I, like, I right, I'm going out today I'm going for a walk and people are still being sensible to, as much as people can be yeah. staying stuff. but people were like I, I can't just sit inside it was a nice weekend I think it was the first nice weekend we've had in a while people going out and about and you know I, I think for me I have to get out I can't mm. you know I, I live in the middle of London you know I need open air, I need open space. So going for walks, you know, going for the exercise. You know, I started walking the long way around to Tesco's. That was my kind of fun part of the thing. That's what it was. But, you know, I, I, I think getting out and about within the parameters that we have is, is so key at this time. Um, and again, going back to what I said a few minutes ago, this is a time that makes you realise, I think, what is important to you. And I know, I, I figured out that being out, uh, you know, going for walks, exercising for sure all those <laughs> all those things that I kind of took for granted because if I if I didn't let's say exercise for example if back before this isolation stuff if I wasn't exercising it was because I was really busy at work or because mm. I was choosing to be lazy you know yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. on me 
Whereas now, when things like gyms are closed, I'm like, oh man, I, can't, I really miss it. I really miss those things. So I don't know how you guys are because you can't, you know, you're, you're in the same kind of boat. You know, you're one of your main outlets. You can't really partake in right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were having this conversation, um, what do you call it, with Tone, one of our other guests, and it was you know, a similar sort of thing where it's it's less about the jujitsu, but more about, as you said, it's more about the culmination of things like the interaction with other people and stuff like that. That is actually, you know, is, is the fault. You don't get to see your mates that you normally see or, you know, you take for granted, well, I hate to use the word taken for granted, but more, yeah, you know, for the use of a better term, you kind of take taken for granted that those interactions that you have, like going to jujitsu or going to the gym or, you know, going to see your family and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, it's... um. I think one thing I've realised, and I, I, I wouldn't say that I've, I've realised this fully in this moment because I've, I already knew it. I love to travel. I've always, you know, since I could oh. have travelled, I love getting out and about. And whenever I get a period, I, I travel. And literally just before this thing locked down, I was right, okay, I'm going to start planning another trip. And I was looking at, you know, my schedule and trying to find like a couple of weeks. So I was like, okay, maybe I can bounce around here. And I was just planning um, a trip. And I was like, oh, actually, I reckon in May I've got a week or two I can find. And that all of a sudden just went completely out the window along with yeah. trips I had you know for work I was supposed to be out in Florida um with WWE for WrestleMania and a number of other things I was supposed to be doing and all of a sudden those things are taken away and mm. it's not that I didn't realize how much I love traveling and exploring before but now I really love it again I think I was saying to someone the other day this is the longest I've been in one place oh in 10-15 years probably you know I've always yeah. same just yeah, just being yeah, just being where we are because normally, even if it's just leaving London to go and see my parents up in Leicester or to go and visit friends, or you got to travel outside your town for work or something. But for the first time, so the last time I left town was I did a WWE show at the start of March yeah. in Coventry. So, so I went there for that, came back, and I had a number of trips all planned. You know, end of March I was supposed to be somewhere, and, and throughout the next couple of months, all gone. So now I've been in London for, what is it, three months? Two and a half, three months. Yeah. I've, I've never been anywhere. I've been, yeah. in a, I've been in a square mile for that long. It, it's weird, man. It's, it's, it's weird. weird. All these little things, just like, again, my family. I want to go back to Leicester and see mum and dad. That's not happening for a while, yeah. you know? So it's, um, it's just a readjustment. And again, I think, you know, again, I consider myself one of the lucky ones right now. I'm able to do some of what I do from home. Um, and to keep some plates spinning. So, you know, all in all, man, I, I feel super fortunate, which I think is another good reflection of, of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think um, it's coming to that point, though, where, where people are starting to get a little bit, like, angst, as you said, you know, and, you know, like you said a couple of weeks ago, people are like, oh, fuck it, let's, you know what I mean, we need to get out. You know, but especially, like, like this morning, like I read, like, um, uh, Saeed Khan is up the congestion charge to £15, <laughs> from <laughs> six in the morning till 10 at night. And I'm like, what? Yeah, are you kidding me? It's like, I, I, are you insane? What, what, are you, what are you doing, you know? Yeah. From 12 to 15 pounds and, you know, it, it was like before, it was like, oh yeah, da-da-da-da, you know, uh, we cancelled congestion charge during a period of the pandemic and stuff like that and da-da-da, so people can, you know, get back to normal. And then, I swear to God though, as I said, man, I was driving through, I was riding through and I was going, going to Labrick Grove and I, I swear, it's like I came across so many new 20 mile an hour zones that I've never seen before. <laughs> and I was like, where the hell? It's like, nah, this never used to be a 20 mile an hour zone. So I think it's like, it, obviously the councils and the government are using this moment in time to kind of like 
put shit in place. Yeah. Which I just think it's 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 unfair because I think people see that and then you know it adds to people's angst and anxiety. You know what I mean? It's, it's that they're, they're very. Well, that's very, where the conspiracy comes in. Like, that's oh, where the conspiracy comes in. Us in, and even though yeah. it might be just innocent, you know, yeah, as you said, you're I'm right. A, I'm, 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 I'm not a fan of conspiracy theories, but I'm a fan of hearing conspiracy theories. I'm a fan of hearing oh. what yeah. people's thought and how they <laughs> la, sort of. La, la. <laughs> I'm a fan of logicizing them. But with this, people yeah. are talking about this COVID thing being being a conspiracy theory. I don't. I don't believe it is personally. You know, I'm, look, I'm not an expert. I haven't read every article on COVID and stuff like that. But from what mm. I'm consuming, it, it doesn't feel like a conspiracy. Because how would you? I don't know. My logic is: if this was a conspiracy, conspiracies are normally held within certain areas. So, like, let's just say America. Let's just you know, people could talk about 9/11 and stuff like that. All right. Well, you could possibly contain that within a certain group of people if you were going to do those things. But this, the whole world has been affected by it in some way. And you've got to think, like, you can't think every world leader has gone, Ella, let's all get together over Christmas. Let's have a chat, shall we? How can we, how can we just talk? How can we talk? <laughs> That's exactly screens? what they think. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm just like, I, I, I'm, like I'm like, really? Like, like, none of these world leaders seem to get on that well, let alone go, hang on, guys. Let's shut down the world, okay? You got. I mean, there'll be one country somewhere who just hasn't got this whatsoever. Been like, what? What's what's this COVID thing? And it seems to be spreading everywhere. So, I'll, I'll enjoy listening to these conspiracy theories, but I've yet to hear one that, um, that I'm kind of sold on. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's Bill's ideas, isn't it? Yeah, it's I all mean, Bill well, Gates. The, the, the one plus side of this, the one plus side of this, is that you know, look at the air quality. You know, London is cleaner, but all these, I think it was, yeah. was it Mumbai? For the first time, they can see the, the mountains in the distance. Mate, China, blue skies. Really? Really? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, I mean, I think I heard, I think one of our politicians say, oh, we're going to be increasing charging stations and stuff to try and hold on to this clean air <laughs> we've got. I mean, I'm like, cool, I love the sentiment. I don't know if, I don't know if in the next three months, everyone's going to buy an electric car, you know, and, oh. and help yeah. keep the air clean. I think when we get back to normal, things will start to rise. But... I hope they don't, because I think this is one of the plus points. The world has been able to um, regenerate somewhat. Again, you know, yeah. all this clean air, all these people kind of reflecting. Those, if you're trying to hunt for a silver lining in this, those are the ones to take out of it. Possibly. That, that rest, um, you know, uh, spending some time with the family and stuff like that, that's been good. Mm. Um, but, yeah. So. I need to get out. I haven't got I haven't got kids, right? So I'm I'm just at home chilling. But I, I hear all these people who are now at home, like they're Ooh. working from home and they got kids. They got kids Ooh. around. Them. And normally the kids are at playgroup or at school or whatever. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I, I can't take this. I can't take having these kids around me all day and trying to send thousand emails. So that's yeah. a struggle. That that that's a that's a struggle, I imagine. It, it is a struggle. It is a struggle. It is, um, I, I think, because normally, I think for, for the kids as well, they normally have their friends that's outside, just like we have our mates outside, mm. our own family, you know what I mean? Your own family group. So it's like, oh, your missus giving me stress. Let me go and have a beer with Andy and stuff like that and talk shit for a few hours and then I come mm. back home and totally de-stress or go to jiu-jitsu or whatever. You know, kids are exactly the same. Exactly the yeah. same. They're at home. You know, they develop these habits of they go to school, they go to school, school work, but they see their friends and stuff like that. But now they, they don't have that outlet. So then they rely on all that attention on you. And then you, in your home, own home, you don't actually have that space for yourself anymore. So yeah. 
one of the a prime example would be okay here's a prime example so um you know doing my little ones uh homeschooling and stuff like that and then uh you know then i'd like i've just got lunch you know so i've got some mackerel spaghetti and da 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 oh fancy fancy oh, mate oh, wow you <laughs> want to be rationing mackerel someone's living the highlights <laughs> and so then then you know then, then my, my missus is working as well you know and um and you know her business is in the city and stuff like that so she's got all her things going on so then you know i'm I'm talking to you now but as i come off here i've got to go and finish his homework and then i've got to go and take him out and then i got like i got about three or four books that i want to read i don't have that time when i want to watch something on a tv i can't because either my missus or my little boy want to watch it on the tv and stuff like that so then i end up like you know, like, oh, it's almost like the guys get on Call of Duty and they go, oh, dude, come on, Call of Duty. You know, it's like, it's like nine o'clock and I'm like, you motherfuckers don't have kids, man. <laughs> you don't understand. And the TV is not mine at this moment in time. The TV is like everybody else's, you know. I'm, I'm waking like, up at five in the morning to, to watch some shows. Just a oh, little mate, bit of yeah. Really? Is that what, five yeah. in the morning just because that's your only time to get your stuff yeah. in? That's yeah. that's right. That's right. One, two in the morning. I'm I'm up reading or I'm up like watching documentary or something like that. You know, so yeah. it's 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 incredible. So you that actually, you know, it's great that you're with the family, but you don't have your time anymore, your your yeah. own space anymore. You know, so I bet that's made you feel way better, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, oh, champagne man. problems over here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch on Netflix tonight. Oh, I'm going to sleep until nine o'clock. Yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah. Again. Very, very fortunate over here. Very fortunate over here. But it's, um, it, it's, it's one of those times where I think we'll look back on this. This is, I mean, I, I say this, everyone said the 2008 recession was like a once in a generation thing. And then we yeah. get this. But I think this is one of those times we'll look back on and, and reminisce about. Um, and I don't know, people, at the start of this, people saying, oh, you've got to be, you know, you've got to make use of this time. You've got to be creative. You've got to do all these things. And personally, for me, you know, I've, I've got a podcast myself, and that's been something yeah. I've really enjoyed um, doing people I want to be friends Shout with. Shout it out. Shout um, it out. People I want to be friends with, with Andy Shepard. Find it on your favorite podcast platform. It's fantastic. <laughs> but doing that has been, you know, it's, it's been a nice creative outlet, you know, because it's my own thing and just mm. doing that. But again, I understand when people don't want to use this time for doing that because everyone's yes. got to get through this in their own way. If you want to just yeah. sit and watch Netflix, if that's how you get through it, cool. I think during this time, everyone's got to do whatever's right for them. And I'm sure many people are still figuring out how to cope with this i think everyone's probably still figuring that out mm. but you know if someone wants to do drawings all day cool if someone wants to watch netflix all day cool if someone wants to go for a walk all day cool like i, I know one of the best things i've done is just going for walks you know yeah lockdown it is wonderful. Yeah. we've been on some big old walks big old walks just <laughs> you know and trying to explore things we've never seen before it's almost like that i talked about traveling a few minutes ago we love traveling we love adventure we love exploring things and where we can at the moment, we're trying to trying to take that mentality and mm. put it into our own backyard. Like, okay, well, we live in London. Where can we walk in London that we've not been before? How can we approach this as if we're tourists? You know, trying to just walk down different streets, trying to yeah. think, I've never walked down this street before. Just finding little pleasures. And also stuff like, you know, we, there's some coffee shops that have opened up near us. And yeah. I, I normally just drink coffee in the weekend. It's like a little treat for me. I, I, I try not mm. to drink it all the time. But yeah, you recently, don't need coffee, mate. Oh, mate no. <laughs> yeah. no. I've got one now just for you, though. Um, but one of the little pleasures we've been trying to find is, you know, because the gyms have shut, um, me and my missus, will we'll get up in the morning and we'll try and go for a run. 
you know, we'll just mm. run into the park and run around and, and, and stuff like that to keep fit. And then we reward ourselves by, there's a little coffee shop around the corner with this real cool guy in it who's always happy to see us and stuff like that. The only person who's ever happy to see us. Uh, and, you know, we go, we go there, we, we have a coffee because it's these little luxury things, little things that sometimes you might take for granted that we go and yeah. we have that. You know, if we have enough time, we'll go and sit in the sun for 20 minutes and enjoy that. Just trying to find the pleasure in small things. And I think that's something that, yeah, people are struggling with this right now. I, I'd advise just, you know, take things you'd normally take for granted. Like, I mean, it's smell the roses, go and sit in the park for 20 minutes, go and play with the dogs or whatever, you know? Find things you'd normally <laughs> make sure to dog that you're allowed to play with. But, you know, just those, those little... <laughs> Those little things that we take for granted right now, because hey, you, you can't go sit in a restaurant, you can't go on a holiday, you can't go and yeah. do all these other things. So what are the simple things that you can do? And, and hopefully when, when this does all end, try and remember to take the simple things, you know, to, to enjoy those simple things again. You know, I think in this world we live in, it was like, oh, I need, to, I need to buy this and have this and look like this and do all this. <laughs> And actually, it's like, well, I have to just simplify stuff. You know, right now, life is simple right now. And again, one of the silver linings of this is, I think, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, what am I doing this weekend? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to see? What am I going to do? Where am I going tonight? Am I going out tonight? Am I going to go to a restaurant tonight? Am I going to go away on holiday somewhere next week? And right now, there are no options. There are very mm. few options. It's, the, the options are, okay, well, where am I going to walk today? You know, where, where am I going <laughs> yeah. to jog today? Where am I going to yeah. do those things? And there's no pressure to, oh, am I missing out on, on this night out over here? Or am I missing out on seeing these people? Those aren't options. So in one way, everything's simplified right now. We're, we're yeah. kind of back to basics. So again, in one way, it's like, oh, those stresses are out the window. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. I've been on a rotation of three outfits for the entire time. Oh, really? <laughs> Are they all white T-shirts? Have you got three white T-shirts? That's it. <laughs> There's no one to impress, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. But uh, I think you hit it on the nail um, about having simple pleasures every day. So there was a strategy that I put on quite early on because I'm in uh, I'm in this lockdown for a little bit longer than you guys. Hmm. And uh, it's just a little every... bit is an understatement, mate. Yeah. How, long have you down, how long have you been locked down for then? This is patient zero. It's been from. <laughs> this is the from... one. Hong Your Kong, one. Hong Kong to Korea. They're just following Italy. <laughs> oh my word! Okay. <laughs> no, but it's just uh, you know finding very tiny little things to to appreciate or to motivate yourself every day, like. You know, sometimes for my kid or for myself, just a little bar of chocolate here or there, you know, just, ah, you know, this is, this is nice. Yeah. Um, or even on a different level, I was on like a bottle a night for the first three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone went through that, didn't they? Why not? Like, I don't normally drink, I don't normally drink that much at home. Like I might have, I've got some bottles of whiskey and stuff and maybe no, every now and again, again on a Friday, I'd have one if I wasn't going out or something. But then when this thing all started, because again, like there wasn't, you know, I hadn't got to get up to go anywhere tomorrow. Like I was exactly. working from home. So it's like, well, actually I'll just why I'll not? Have, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll have a couple of drinks tonight. And then oh, the next night, oh, I'll just have, well, why not? Because it was, yeah. it was. And then <laughs> after a couple of weeks, I was like, hang on a minute. No, I've, I've been, I've been having a drink every night for about See, two or three weeks. So I'm just going to, that's, let me, that's let me, everyone's let me. realization. Just got to tone it back <laughs> down. Yeah. I heard yeah. stories of people walking past, you know, their neighbor's uh, garbage bins and just looking inside. It's just bottles of wine, <laughs> bottles of vodka, <laughs> beer cans, all that stuff. And everyone's like, wow, 
wow, someone's getting punchy on the old booze. But yeah, I, I, I feel like you speak for everyone when you say that. Everyone kind of got a bit deep to begin with. Here's a conspiracy In a theory. Cert- it's the alcohol industry, actually, that started this virus. In a certain way, this is also, if you look at it in a different way, this is also once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where you are forced to tone it down, do nothing, have nothing to look forward to until, you know, you're, you're told to do so. So, you know, you can, I think you can let your guard down a little bit and then just experience yeah yeah when he says nothing to look forward to i think it's still a good time to maybe you know for me i'm we'll still think about trips we want to make when we can make them who knows is it going to be this year is it going to be next year who knows i think it's a nice time to kind of think about those things and try and give yourself something to to work towards but yeah you're right there's no no one can make any imminent plans you know um like I've got, think- I've got a friend who's who was supposed to get married two weeks ago. His wedding's now being pushed by an entire year, <laughs> as was his stag do. And God. then I've got another buddy who's supposed to be getting married at the end of the summer. And I think they're still a little bit in limbo. If there were, waiting. if there was a sign, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you need, if you need a sign, <laughs> hey guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you believe in fate, but uh, maybe it's not meant to be. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll text him now. I'll let him know that. Just <laughs> have had an epiphany. <laughs> uh, I think things will also be slightly different after after this, even though we we're looking forward to things. So from like tiny observations, like now we're allowed to go out to parks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And my kid and even like kids here, they love connecting with people. It's um, it's a very friendly country, very passionate, right? But now you'll see kids just stopping on their tracks and they'll look at their mom and dad or my kid will look at me and go can I go talk to that kid or you know it's uh I think things are different and we've got to find a way to adjust it for me I think I I, I think it's the older generation for my parents for example I really want to go and see my parents but obviously they're of a certain age and I don't want to risk those kind of things. I, I, I hope that in general, as this thing moves on, people kind of get back closer to normal, you know? Mm. But it is that older generation that are, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I don't know the ins and outs, but, I've, you know, I think the older you are, potentially the more vulnerable this is. I mean, I've had friends who've had COVID. I've had a m- number of friends who've had it. Some people were, okay. Some people, you know, fit, healthy people were really up against it. You know, it, it can be it can be super bad. And I think that's one of the worrying things about this. It's not like, oh, you get the flu. What happens when you get the flu? This happens. Okay, cool. Some people could have had it and don't even know about it. it it's that minor. And other people, it can really knock them on their ass, you know, to, to, a, fate, to a fatal extreme. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's rolling that dice. That's the thing that sucks. Because, again, I, for me, I just want to go and see my family. I just want to go and see my family, give them a hug and be with them. You know, and that's that's one that that's probably one of the trickiest things about this, not knowing when I can do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll have to I'll have to concur with that. You know, it's um, it's obviously my 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 parents are a lot closer to me than yeah. <laughs> actually my, my my dad's around the corner from you. Oh, is so, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's exactly. But that's that's again that's that's one of the things you know, not not seeing 
not seeing your family, not, you know. Have you been to see them? Have you been to see them, but sort of kept your distance? Or have you had contact with them in some way since this started? Yeah, just over the phone. Yeah, 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 just over the phone. Because part of me almost feels like, you know, in a few weeks' time, maybe I'll just get a car and drive up to to Leicester, you know, say, hey, look, let's just meet in a park and do, like, for real, do the social distancing. Like, you guys be three metres away from me, whatever. But let's just yeah. sit and have a socially distanced picnic or well, something. That's the, that's the plan this weekend for me, you know. It's a go yeah. and, you call it go and see them and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, but you know, but as Viking was saying, the problem is is like me. I'm a very kind of like tactile person as well. You know, what I mean, if I see, I give you a hug, and it's very difficult for me. Sometimes not to... a bit that the hugs you give sometimes <laughs> are a little bit long. If we're completely honest about it, sometimes <laughs> they're a bit inappropriate. But that's a whole different conversation. We can, we can that's because you don't understand jujitsu. Is that when I side control you and like go to choke you from the mount? Then, don't talk to you know? me about understanding jujitsu. <laughs> I I wrote jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> no, but and, and, and kids are very much like that, you know. Kids are very much, hey, my friend, ah. yeah, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, and so the schools are opening. Hopefully, you know, the schools are opening in June. You know, I bet um, you're happy about that. Get back to school. Give me some time. <laughs> I've got to get on call of duty. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the schools are open, opening back in back in June, and you know, this is what's going to happen. You know, they're going to see their friends and ah, they haven't seen in ages, and da 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 da, because they FaceTime each other and stuff like that. It's, it's now, you know, and you can see it's like it, they all have their little group and they're all like speaking and stuff like that, you know, and it's they they miss each other a lot. It's like, just interesting you say that because I was talking to a buddy of mine who's got I think his kid's probably ten or something around that, mm. and I was saying to him, like, is your is your kid being speaking to his friends or, or seeing his friends or whatever. He's like, no, not, not really. They're not really FaceTiming. They're, the only time they really interact is on video games. So they'll jump onto right. whatever they're playing and they'll chat that way. Again, like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not 10 years old, so I'm always intrigued by how that generation... Um, That's in, uh, a whole interact. different world, isn't it? The, hey. the, the gaming thing. Yeah, the, game, the gaming thing so. is, a whole, is, a whole, is a whole different world because I think it's like you, you, you're interacting in a, in a different way. Um, mm. But, you know, I prefer... Me personally, is that you know the uh, our kids kind of like if you know if they can't see each other then they interact with like you know by Zoom by video conferencing or or whatever and just talk stuff because basically they like he'll be sitting down and like you know we'll be playing like Uno or something like that and then his mates will ring up and they'll still be playing Uno but he'll be talking to them as well so he'll have the phone there or the iPad on the side you know and he. But he's doing his own thing at the same time, but still talking to them. And they're doing their own thing at the same time. And they're walking around the house, and do, but they're still like, you know, they're still conversing the whole time. You I know? remember being it's a kid really sitting on see. the steps. I, I had to sit on the steps because we didn't have one of those wireless phones yet. I had to sit on the steps of my house, like the, the yeah. stairs. And I used like the wired in phone to chat to my mates. And it was always like, get off the phone. We've got to make a phone call or something for my parents. Oh, yeah, I yeah. That, that, that was me I when I was like 10 years old. extra long wire, just psh- yeah, Just go yeah, away. Yeah. I remember when we got a phone upstairs. We got a phone in my Those parents' curls. bedroom. Yeah, we got a phone in my parents' bedroom. I remember going up there to have like the private conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those, those racy ones. But yeah, man, now like you can. How old are kids when you get a mobile phone? This is something, again, I, I've known. Ooh, I, I, nowadays. I must have been like 14 or 15 when I got my phone. I was 14. Yeah. First and phone. So, and so like we were teenagers, right? But yeah. at what point now, if you've got a kid, when do you give them a phone? Like, so there's, there's, there's a few theories, right? And I heard, a really, education, education. I heard a really, really good one. I heard a re- really good one. Um, shit, I can't even remember where I heard it, but it's stuck in my head. And it was one of the ones where, you know, um, the parents uh, of um, this girl's class got together and they all made an agreement 
of what do you call it when they will give their kids phones. So what happened? You didn't have the you didn't have the the the, the social anxiety of this kid mm. has got a new pair of trainers and this kid's got a phone. I haven't got one. So you, oh, oh, dad, I don't have a phone. Blah, blah, blah. So they didn't they didn't have that in the group. So when they did decide, like you know, listen, we're going to give our kids phones. They made it on on a, on an agreement. How old was that? That is super super hard. Yeah, how old how old were they then? I can't remember how old Six. they were. <laughs> nah, 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 that's way well older than that. Well older than that. Like my, my, my kids had uh, Troy. When did he get his phone? But it's, it's under different circumstances. So Troy was about 13, 12, 13 when he had his phone. Haley was about 14 when she had I feel phone. like if I was your kid, if I was you, I'd be like, right, I'm going to give my kid a phone when I know he can defend himself so he ain't getting nicked. Because I just imagine, I just imagine at school people are nicked. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just assuming this, but. I don't know. I have a shit phone. I, yeah, I, but also, isn't it like a status thing? Isn't it a status thing? Because I know when I was at school, I didn't have good trainers until I don't think I ever had, got good trainers at school. Mm. I'd like, you know, your high techs or, or whatever. So, and that was always a thing where <laughs> high techs or, or British Knight. You know, I remember yeah. I got my first, I got a pair of fillers. Sergio Cicchini. Yeah, probably. Well, I, I, I think I got a pair of fillers <laughs> or something when I was maybe 14, 15. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, I've got good trainers. But I never had good trainers. Yeah. And so I got the piss taken out of me, like, oh, your trainers, blah, 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 blah. I, I imagine these days, it's, it's, phones might be a similar thing. Like, you know, someone's going to get given the iPhone 11 and someone's going to get given a Samsung flip phone. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so there's that status thing that comes with it. I don't know. I'm not 10 years old, but this is what yeah, I Yeah, well, yeah, I, I presume it's, it's, again, it's that, state, that status thing. But I think, like, you know, I think that it's changed over the last even two to three years where it's like, Fewer kids had top-end phones, and now it's like all kids have bloody phones. Like this, it's you know, it's like almost like the market's been flooded. Yeah, just just so many phones. It's like man, you got a phone. You know what I mean? So I'm not too sure. It'd be it'd be it'd be kind of good good to look good to look into. But I, I think you can't give a you know you can't give a, a kid. Um, for me personally, you know, it's my opinion. You can't give a kid a phone before they're able to kind of almost like be at that age where they're able to kind of go out with their friends somewhere. Yeah, like if you're seven, point, what are you doing with a phone? If you're seven exactly. years old, what be like, you're not allowed to be on like the apps. I think yeah. Instagram's like 16 or something, you've got to be on there. So it's like, what, what are you doing with a phone, mate? Like, I'm, yeah, who are you calling? There's so many, you know, so, so, so many kids I know on Instagram, like 14, 12, 13, 14, they've got their own Instagram accounts and stuff like that. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, mate, it's, it's a minefield. It's a mate. minefield. It's a minefield. And I think for parents now, it's probably a lot harder than our parents with regards to actually the amount of influences. Because like, you know, kids, when you're, when you're a teenager growing up, you know, um, you, your, your parents have less and less influence on you because you, you know, it's, it's your friends that have more influence and your outside, you know, um, experiences that have, that, that start to shape you a little bit more. Mm. Um, but now is that, you know, there's so much more information coming from all different directions, you know, through their phone, through everywhere, advertising, yeah. da, 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 et cetera. The, you know, the parents have less and less, you know, influence on, on kids nowadays. You I, have to I, I be think, really I, I, strong. And I remember how tough it was. Like I, I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, sort of in a cold sweat, thinking I'm still at school or even uni. I've got an exam coming up, and I haven't studied. I genuinely still think that. I have these, <laughs> these dreams where, like, yeah, there's a, there's like a maths test coming up, and I've completely just not gone to maths in like the whole term. 
Uh. I remember the stress of being a teenager. I think being a teenager, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, is always an unsure time because you're still trying to find out who you are. I mean, look, you're still trying to find out who you are for your entire life, but in your teens and early 20s, it's really compressed. Mm. And the stresses and pressures that I remember I had as a, as a kid, and as you say, we were in a certain world. Now, with apps, even people... People probably every generation now feel these social pressures. If you're on Instagram and stuff, you're bombarded with these images, often images of perfection from you know, perfection of lifestyle to perfection of looks to perfection of wealth, all these things. Mm. Everyone puts forward these perfect lives. And all these people that are put on pedestals look a certain way and have a certain lifestyle. <clears throat> so it's very easy to get consumed. But this is even, you know, people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, no yeah. doubt, feel those pressures. So I can only imagine what it's like for someone who is in their teenage years, figuring out life, figuring out who they are, who they're becoming, all these changes that are happening to them, to be bombarded with these images and, mm. and not have the life experience to kind of stop and think, well, this is bullshit. This yeah. is all just fake and whatever. Because it's hard enough when you're, when, you know, when you're deep into your life, let alone that age. So yeah. man, I think, I think being a teenager now, along with the stresses of being at school and thinking that those exams, your, your life depends on those exams. Cause I, that's what I thought when I was at school, mm. my GCSEs, my A-levels, my whole life was pivoting on those things. And yeah. maybe, maybe it was, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I've gone down a different route if I'd got different GCSEs, if I've got different A-levels. If I hadn't gone to uni to study whatever I studied, maybe I would have gone down a, a different path, but you're told that everything hangs in the balance. And then as you kind of get into life, you're like, well, actually, you kind of, depending on what you want to do, you, you, you do kind of carve your way through regardless. Mm. But yeah, man, the, the stresses of being a teenager, any teenagers who might be listening to this now, it's like, guys, like, from my point of view, shit gets better. People say the teenagers are <laughs> the best years of your life. And look, they were great. I had a great time. Great, oh, great, yeah, great, great, great shit time. shit gets better. <laughs> But, you know, if you follow your passions, if, you, mm. if you're true to yourself and, you, you know, you spend you know, your, your years growing up trying to find who you want to be and trying to find what truly interests you and not trying to fulfill other people's prophecies of you, that, I think, is, is a way towards happiness. Um, because, I, you know, I just remember being so insecure as, as a teenager about... So, I mean, I'm still insecure about things now. I think everyone is. But as a teenager, just being so unsure of who I was and who I was going to become... Because I, th- I remember thinking, I'm, you know, I, I know I haven't started my life yet. I'm at school. You know, I'm doing my exams. I'm a kid. I'm not supposed to have started my life now. Um, yeah. And you're always like, well, what, who am I going to become? What am I going to do? What kind of person am I going to be? I remember mm. seeing like adults, you know, dads, who used to wear their trousers up to their nipples and cords <laughs> and cardigans and being like, at what point do you start dressing like a dad? You know, and then yeah. you get into like your twenties and your late twenties, and you suddenly realise, oh no, I'm, I'm, this is, this is who I am now. I'm just going to dress like this, wearing stupid shirts forever. Mm. That's me now. You know, you become who you want to become. Um, mm. But yeah, man, teenage, teenage years—they are, they're amazing. They're also rough. <laughs> oh mate. So listen. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born. Uh, I was born. In, I was born in Leicester. And I grew up in um, a place called, a village just outside of Loughborough. So Loughborough University is a very famous uh, university yeah, yeah. in the UK, very famous sports university. I grew up um, in a village just outside, um, outside, Quorn, outside Loughborough called Quorn. And um, yeah, I, I, I was very much into sport as well. I did athletics for, for many years up until I, I left uni. I was really into athletics. And I used to train yeah. at Loughborough. 
And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you go to the gym, there's Olympians everywhere and there's world-class everything there. But you don't, you don't really, it is what it is because that's where you grow up. And then I decided when I went to uni that I want to go away. Um, I didn't want to be at home. My brother went to Loughborough Uni, again, amazing university. Um, but I wanted to go away. I think I always, I like the bright lights of London. I, I, I liked the idea of traveling and an adventure. So I was like, I'm going to go away. And the yeah. only university anywhere near London, and I associated London with, with TV and film and media and stuff, and the only place that did the course I wanted was Kent, which on a map looks pretty close to London. Actually, the trains are so <laughs> slow. I was as quick getting to London from Loughborough as I was from yeah. Canterbury. Um, yeah. So yeah, then I went, to, um, I went to Canterbury University, studied there, uh, yeah. and, and that, that kind of launched me into the, into the big world. Well, before that, though, actually after school, I went to America for a little while mm. as an exchange student. That was my first kind of taste of, of living away from home. Um, yeah. And it was funny, actually, recently. So I went to Houston, uh, Texas, as an exchange student. And it was a, it was a, it was a rough time. When I look back at it, it was amazing in one sense that it was the first time I was away from my parents. I think I was away for six months. I was away from my parents. I was living this life. Um, got to make, meet some great people. But at the same time, um, some people there were horrible. And actually, as I got older, I realized how horrible and, and, and potentially damaging those experiences were. Um, and the older I've got, the more kind of, you know, I've thought about that. But now I've tried to put it to one side. But... I went back to Houston earlier this year, actually, um, with WW. I went to the Royal Rumble um, mm. with them. And actually, I, when I landed, I was like, I need to go back to where I was. I need to go back and experience these things. I hadn't been back there for, oh, God, over a decade. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to go. So I got off the flight, got on a cab, went straight back to my community college, walked around there, like spent 20 minutes. And I actually felt really emotional. I, I actually genuinely felt emotional because I remember the good, there were so many good things that came out of that, like made me a stronger person. But at the same time, it was, you know, it was, it was a really tough time. And then yeah. where I lived was actually just across the road from the college. And I mm -hmm. went around there and I went to the house and, and kind of, I don't know, it felt a bit like I exercised some demons because I, I was there with a company that I loved as a kid. From the age of mm. pretty, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, I loved WWE. So to, yeah. to be back there doing what I was doing, which was hosting for WWE, which is crazy. Um, mm to go back to where this kind of weird time in my life happened was, was quite a moment. Because as, as I said earlier, when you're a kid, when you're growing up, when you're a teenager, you don't know who you're going to become. You don't yeah. know who that person is. Um, I think you know, even at university, you've not started your life yet. You're waiting to start your life. You're, in, in my mind, you're getting all these bits of paper and qualifications that might allow you to build what you want to do. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so to go back there and, and sort of be doing what I wanted to do was... That was a cool experience. Um, so yeah, that was that, that was that was an interesting start to this year. Yeah. Okay. Nice, man. So t tell me about what do you call it? Tell me about a uh, Blue Peter. Go Blue on. Peter. <laughs> Blue Peter. Blue Peter. So this is yeah. Okay. So I, I, I think you're referring to my my uh, my time on a show called Blue Peter. You decide. So I'd, I suppose I'll give you a bit of, a bit of background to like sort of how I how I uh, you know what I've done. So I remember I, I, after after uni I went travelling traveled the world for about a year and I had a great time. But while I was away, while I was traveling, I was like, what do I want to do? Like, what, what do I want to do in my life? I, you know, I love traveling. I love all this stuff. And I, I liked, I was enjoyed watching, you know, films and media and, and thought that that was really cool. I remember being in Australia, I think, and be like, what can, what can allow me to maybe do this for a living? And I thought, Blue Peter, that's actually a pretty good job. Like these guys are TV presenters. They're uh -huh. always off on these trips doing challenges, doing stuff like that. And I was like, 
think I want to be a TV presenter. I think I want to be a Blue Peter presenter. So off the back of that, when I got back from traveling, I, you know, I came back, I got an internship in London, um, bopped around a few jobs for like a couple of years. I was, you know, I was working at a film company called Big Talk, working on TV shows and movies and stuff mm. like that, trying to, just trying to find my way. Because I, I think in my head, I was like, oh, you hear about all these TV presenters getting fan beat, they're runners and they get a fan to be a presenter. So I was like, oh, yeah. I'll just be a runner. Someone will just be like, oh, you, you can present this, off you go. Because yeah. I had no connections in TV. My parents are teachers. Mm. I had no idea. I'm from, you know, I'm from Leicester. So, yeah. um, it's, after, a hard, it's a harsh world. Mate, it, yeah, it, it's, it's really tough. It's and I, I remember working at this film company for two years and realising that in, in the genre I was working, which was scripted comedy and all that kind of stuff, in the positions I was in, which were junior positions, you know, runner, production assistant, that kind of stuff, there's nothing creative. You're, mm. you're not being... Um, or in, in my situation anyway no one's asking for your opinions and stuff unless you're the producer or director or yeah. very much up the ladder there wasn't a lot there so I ended up after two years being like I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on so I remember making a show reel because uh, I was a little scared I was a little scared to try and and, and be a presenter because mm. I was worried that I think sometimes people have dreams and yeah. they, they, they keep them as dreams because yeah. it's something to to aspire to something that keeps them going is something they wake up in the morning and go tomorrow I'm going to do that I'm going to try and yeah. do that tomorrow uh-huh. but they never do because it's the fear of trying yeah. and not succeeding and then what keeps you going because if that dream is shattered where do you go and I understand mm-hmm. that because for a long time I was like oh this will just happen this will just happen mm-hmm. and I, I got to a point I was like I need I don't want to live with regret so yeah. I made a show reel and I looked up, I don't know why I looked up on the internet or some book of like, who are the agent? Who, who represents TV presenters like Dermot O'Leary and Russell Brand and those kind of guys who are, you know, kicking around. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember it vividly because it was, it was, I made that show on the back end of 2009 and I put, I put so much work into it. I had a great team of guys that I met and the amount of work we put into it for what it was and now how I know you can make things, we spent like months making this show and stuff. Um, I'll send it to you, you'll laugh. And um, <laughs> please, <laughs> and I remember sending it out, and I was I was scared, thinking you know about rejection, yeah. and I got I, I started getting emails back from agents being like, yeah, come in for a chat, come in for a chat, and I went in for a chat, and I, I remember meeting with people like John Knoll, who at the time was Russell yeah, yeah. Brand's agent, um, was Dermot O'Leary's agent. He you know he was he was a star maker. I had a meeting with him, and he's you know he could be a scary guy, and it was a great meeting. I met with people like, you know, independent talent and it was Steve Jones' agent, um, still is, I think, and he was one of the biggest hosts of T4 at the time. I thought, wow, and the fact these people are getting me in was kind of affirmation enough that maybe I'm not completely shit. I remember yeah. someone saying to me, oh, have you, what have you done before? And in my mind, I was like, I mean, I haven't really done anything. And tell them I've done nothing because they'll be like, oh, he's done nothing. He, he's going to be amazing to get some experience, not really thinking that these are agents who want to take you on when you've got a bit of experience and done some stuff. So yeah, in yeah. some ways, I shot myself in the foot. But I was kind of like, yeah, I haven't really done anything. I've just made this show rule to see what I can do. But that gave me enough confidence. Um, and then I very shortly after that, went sort of freelance and left the film company. But then I spent a... a a little while just bopping around doing whatever I could grabbing a few TV jobs here and there like production wise I even mm-hmm. worked as a temporary estate agent because a mate of mine's yeah. dad owned a, a company and was like oh well we can do some stuff and I kind of got stuck in that for a while and all the time trying to get jobs and I was picking up little things here and there sending stuff out yeah um, and it was actually in that time that the, the cog started turning that would bring me to meet yourself dude 
So I remember one of the first jobs I did um, was a, it was a ring girl competition for Bama. It was Alex Reed versus uh, Tom Watson. Tom Watson. Mm. And it was in Birmingham. It was a huge card at the time. And yeah. I got brought in by the guys from Bama. I don't know how I got that job. I don't know how course, I, I came to contact. It was a big card. Big card, of course, yeah. Someone we know was probably the intern at the time, Jude. And, um, and I remember I remember getting the call to that. I was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I'll do it. Went up to Birmingham, hosted this ring girl competition. No, literally no idea what I was doing. Literally no idea what I was doing. I was talking. I remember I would bring people in from the audience to play little games. Yeah. I was really struggling to remember their names. I, I was like, what's your name? Oh, okay. And, and here's Johnny. Just, just little things like that. I had no idea what I was doing. Hosted that. Um, and then off the back of that, at the time, I think Dan was on Channel 5. I remember sort of hassling um, the guys to do more, just to do backstage stuff, just to do, just to do anything, just to be involved. And I came to that show, it was great, um, um, but nothing kind of came of that. So I went back, um, continued doing whatever presenting jobs I could. I was doing travel stuff for The Guardian, which I loved. I was doing mm. things jobs, um, and then did stuff at the Olympics in 2012, just, just building to get any experience I could. And then you know, I got an agent, um, and then I saw this Blue Peter competition. And I was like, I think at the time I was doing stuff at SBTV, um, Jamal mm. Edwards' platform, which, which it's still big now, but it was really hot then. And I was mm. started doing their sports stuff for them. I just found Jamal's email, sent her a message, actually while I was at the estate agents, been like, hey man, you wanna do anything? And he emailed me back straight away. I was like, wow, this is cool. So he got me into hosting sports stuff, which is really cool. And then this Blue Peter thing came up and I was like, well, I don't think I'm right. I think I probably had a screen test for CDBC at the time and I, I wasn't quite right. And I was like, I mean, but it's, it's a big opportunity and I can't, you know, why, why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't you go yeah. to something like that? So um, you had to do this build. Um, I think you had to do an audition tape. I did something that was a stupid taking the piss kind of thing. Sent it in and um, I think there was something like 20,000 applicants. And, um, and I got the call being like, oh yeah, you got through to the next round. I can't remember the exact stages. I don't know if you have to do another video after that or something, or I had to go for a meeting. But I remember at one point I had to go up to Manchester to do this um, meeting. I think I had to do an interview and then do a make with someone. But I just remember getting, keep getting through these stages. And I was like, when's this gonna end? Because I don't think I'm right. I think I'm a bit rude. Not that you're gonna swear on kids TV, but you know, I, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> if I'm squeaky clean enough, but I kept getting yeah. through and I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. And then eventually I got down to the well, final. Well, the, his, the history of some of the Blue Peter presenters. Well, you know? yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean in, in reality, compared to them, I am squeaky clean. Yeah. But, but then I kept getting through it. And this whole audition process was part of the show. They're making an apprentice-style show called Blue Peter, You Decide. Mm. And um, what was funny was the same time I was doing this, I was actually auditioning for to host Big Brother's uh, bit on the side. They were, I think they were relaunching Big Brother on Channel 5. Mm -hmm. I remember auditioning for that and there were two very different auditions because I'm going to Blue Peter being squeaky clean, you know, don't say fuck or bugger, doing these yeah. make, doing, the, doing all these things. And then at the same time I was going to, you know, um, Big Brother and doing these kind of cheeky, you know, interviews and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, there were two different routes that was happening. Um, eventually Rylan got the job for Big Brother's bit on the side um, and I got onto the show for... Um, Blue Peter, you decide. And it was weird because I think Eamon Holmes, Mylene Class, and Kale Spellman were the judges. It was very much an mm. apprentice starting. Mm. And I, I went away and we, we did some tasks and then they, were, they started eliminating people. And I, and I got eliminated. And I think, I, I think there's a couple of other people who were eliminated at the same time as me. And they got critiqued. And it was harsh. It, it's, it's, it's tough being critiqued, mm. especially when you're on camera. It's tough, it's tough being in an audition or getting feedback going, nah, mate, you're not right. 
it's tough. Yeah. Um, but the, the feedback they had for me was like, you're, you're good. You're, you're, you're great. I think we're going to hear more from you. But there's, I think Mylene said this. She goes, but there's a twinkle in your eye. I'm not sure this is quite, <laughs> I'm not sure you're quite right for Blue Peter. And I was just like, yeah, no. I mean, I've, I've been thinking this the entire time. I don't think I'm right. Um, what, one thing I think that helped me was when I left the film company, I went to work in casting. Um, mm. uh, one of the gigs, I, one of my first freelance gigs was, was as a casting assistant. I remember casting for commercials and some sort of independent feature films. I remember seeing all these actors come in and the actors I recognised off the TV, like famous actors. I was like, I just assumed this, because I, I know who you are. I just assumed that you would be just, you'd be sent scripts and like a, a huge figure. And they'd be like, we want to do this. We're going to pay you loads of money. You'd be like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. But then I suddenly realised, no, these, these people have to audition. It's, it's a, even these famous people, it's a struggle. Yeah. And then I'd hear the creative decisions around why they weren't getting picked, why these people weren't getting chosen for these roles. Yeah. And often, yeah, and often, you know, I remember seeing one guy come in and he was great, a great actor, uh, but he didn't get chosen because he didn't look right or he wasn't quite right for the character, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember, I can't remember his name now, but there's some guy who went on to be a huge Hollywood star, came in for this role and, and didn't get it because, again, he wasn't quite right. He's gone on to be a huge Hollywood star since. I, I think doing that helped me. It helped me deal mm. with rejection because what I do, well, anyone who works in TV, in front of, and probably behind the camera as well, you deal with rejection. You go for a lot of jobs, you get told yeah. no a lot of the time. And it made yeah. me process why people get rejected. It's not always because you're not good. It's not because you can't do it. It's not because you can't play that character. It's not because you can't technically or physically present that kind of show. It's just not what they're looking for. People have something in their mind and they're looking for this. And you are who you are, you know, and that's that. And I think that's helped me a lot, holding on to those kind of issues, um, knowing that if someone says you're not right for this or you've not got it, then I, okay. I think that's a lot, a lot to do with it. And I think that's why I think there's, you know, there's like there's talented kids and stuff like that in the universities and coming out of schools that do have those skills to, to be in production, to be in that world. Um, but, you know, kids and teenagers, as we were just saying earlier, and I find it very difficult to deal with rejection. It's about getting, but if you give them a reason why this might happen because of, it's just like, it's just like when you train them to do their CV, you know, don't write this, but write this. You know, because if you write this, there's a high probability that you won't, you know, you won't get the job. So, yes, as soon as you give them a reason, then they're able to adjust. And I think a lot of the reason why we don't have, probably not only in TV, but a lot of other industries as well, we don't have more people coming through or, or more kids coming through is because the connection in between them leaving school or leaving university and coming into that industry is a bit of a scary leap. And it's because they don't know about stuff like this. And it's really important that they, you know, you get, they get to know about stuff like this. Because, you know, I've, I've been around, I've seen the same sort, same sort of things, and I'm thinking, fuck, Jesus Christ. You know, there's, I, I th I think, there's I kids think being, that I know that I can put in that position that would just be really good at. Really yeah, good I, at. I, think, I think being taught to deal with rejection is, is super, super important. That rejection, rejection is tough. You know, like, I'm, you know, like I've got a long-term partner now, but, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't go up to girls. I was awful at approaching girls for fear of rejection and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, in, in the working world, taking rejection, and you, I think it's often, of course, how you're rejected. Someone just goes, no, you're shit, bugger off. That's tough. But I think you have to understand sometimes that, you know, if someone rejects you for a role or for an opportunity, you ask for feedback and ask why and take that constructively. 
and think about what you can work and, and try and use it to spur you on. Try not use it as a setback. I've spent so much of my career getting rejected. I spent so, uh, it, it's a kind of a cliche, but for every hundred things I'll go for, I'll get 99 rejections. Sometimes a hundred, you know? Mm. You just got to keep going. I think one of the tricky things is, is trying to sustain yourself because you know, again, when it's your career you're going for and you're starting yeah. out, it's like, how, how do you keep going? How do you live in London? I remember there's a yeah. time when, I kept giving myself benchmarks of, of, of to try and get to what I would call succeeding. Um, and, you know, I'd go, oh, maybe another year, maybe another year. I remember my, my parents one time had to, they had to talk me down off a ledge, basically, and be like, I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep going. You know, I've, I, I've been sending shows out. I've been going for all these things. I'm getting nothing, you know. I'm working in these, I'm, I'm working, I haven't got a stable job. I haven't, at that time, I wasn't really forging a career, per se. I was doing odd bits. I was doing bits of production here, bits of production here, but it was hard to get a grasp in enough to, to, to build something to move forward with. And it was tough, but my, my parents, I can't thank them enough. My parents, my brother, my friends for saying, just, 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 just keep going. Just, just, just give it one more go. Just give it one more go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was lucky that I, I continue to work in production now. I love, I love creating stuff when it's in front of the camera, or behind the camera. And I think that helped that I was, you know, I, I've been able to, while I'm pursuing on camera stuff, you know, I, I can do stuff behind the camera that keeps me in that world, keeps me feeling fulfilled, um, yeah. but keeps my foot in there. So that, that was lucky for me. But you know, if you're trying to, I think it's important people to have side hustles or have something they can put food on the table with while they're going for their goal. And mm. you just, if you want to achieve something, you've almost got to be so bloody minded about it, I think, you know. Yeah. And, and for, for me, you know, I, I remember it took me a few years, but it was after the 2012 Olympics. I made some contacts around there and I worked on that as a, as a, as I think as a researcher, assistant producer. Then I was hosting some stuff in the basketball. Off the back of that, I then started working with a company called Full Well 73, um, as a, I think it was an AP or researcher at the time. And Full Well 73 are, at the time they were a small company. They were making, you know, they were make, I think I started working there on the screens for a One Direction tour. They're making like yeah. the, the screens you'd see there. So that was cool. Mm. And then, you know, they're making some sports documentaries and stuff like that. And very quickly, they turned, they turned into one of the best production companies, not only in the UK, but in the US. They make James Corn's Late Late Show and, and things like mm. Carpool Karaoke, films like the Usain Bolt film. So working with that company was amazing. They, they really helped pull me through as sort of from behind the camera standpoint, from you know, a, an AP through to being a, a producer. And yeah. Those guys there, Gabe, Leo, Ben Turner, Ben Winston, they've taught me so much about, you know, the industry behind the camera and, and advice in terms of on front of the camera. So those guys have always been invaluable. So it was then that I started to get my claws in behind the camera, but I was always pursuing on-camera stuff. I always wanted to do on-camera stuff. Yeah. SBTV was, um, was great because they were quite, you know, they had a bit of profile. And eventually I remember getting Red Bull cliff diving. I had to, uh, one of their hosts oh, yeah. couldn't, couldn't do it for a while, so I, I ended up doing... Um, a few episodes of that and that was amazing because I'd always watched that show on days and I remember um, <laughs> I remember I got to go to Mexico I got to go to Spain it was really just a dream job so I did, I did that and that was okay that gave me you know that, that was coming at a time where I hadn't you know I think that was probably 2014 2015 so five, five years into my career I'd been hustling I'd been hustling trying to get this thing and eventually that came I was like okay cool but then I think they cancelled um, like the show or something, so it didn't really go anywhere. And I was trying to do other stuff. But then the channel went down, didn't it, Dave? Dave no, Dave's still going. Dave's, we we were on Dave. Oh, it's Bravo, isn't it? Bravo, yeah. yeah. So, so this then <laughs> this then this then brings us kind of full circle. So I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm still working at Full Well, doing um, d- doing presenting of what I can, and then I got a phone call, and I remember it was the start of 2050. 
I got a phone call from a guy called David Green, a guy mm-hmm. who I'd been, um, I'd hassled probably for a year after that first banner experience. Be like, hey, can I do something? Can I be a backstage reporter? Can I do anything? I just want to be involved. Because um, I kind of caught the mixed martial arts bug at that point. And he, I remember getting a message from him out of the blue. And I, still to this day, I don't know why he contacted me. Um, he's like, look, the guy we've got, he can't make it um, for whatever reason. Can you, are you around this weekend? At the time, I was, I was producing a show. And I was like, uh, yeah, but I've got, to, yeah, I, I can make it, but I've got to travel back like that night because I've got to yeah. be on a shoot the next day. I'm like, yeah, I can do it, I can do it. I'll do anything to get there. So I went up there and hosted a banner. It was the first time I'd ever done live TV. First time I'd ever hosted anything like that. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the main event was a fight call, um, between Tom Dukawa and Christoph Klacek, which I can say their names oh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. when you're, when you're yeah. I, I was consuming things like the UFC at that point in like the mainstream, shall we say, mm. fights. So when you don't know who these people are, when they're not in your everyday vocabulary, try and say, the, again, anyone who's listening or watching this, go and Google the name Tom Dukawa and Christoph Klacek. They don't they're not spelled how they sound. So I'm like Tom DeQuesnoy, uh, Christoph yeah, yeah. I, I butchered yeah. butcher their names, but it, it was, you know, it, I, I, it got me through and it, it was enough for, for David Green to be like, oh, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's spin the, let's roll the dice in this guy. So I started doing Bama and that was, you know, I, I, I credit Bama a lot. They gave me opportunities to do that, to do live TV, because live is, in, in the TV world, um, doing live is is a real asset to have. It's a skill to have because you're, you know, you're not doing or a cue and you haven't got a chance to do it again. You, it's there. You've got to do it. You've got to deliver. You know, you've, yeah. you've got to guide this broadcast. You've got to do those things. And I learned that on the fly. I learned that on the job. I was like, yeah, I've always got this sort of thing where if someone says, can I do it? I'll be like, yeah, I can do it. But only if I think I've got any, you know, any sort of chance of maybe hassling it through. And I just kind of hustled it. And so, and so yeah, I, I did Bama. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing that you're talking about that actually because um it's it's the one one of the one of the things that especially um that for, for me that is a, um, is amazing with with bellator is the processes you know just totally eliminate shit like that and i, I just like sitting down and watching the guys work in production and see what they do what they do is is for me it's just been like a revelation i mean fuck i wish you know been known that years ago i'd be like oh my god you would have just walked in there and it's been like like fucking goldie you know what i mean but it's just the way they have their processes lined up yeah you know i i learned like about processes and stuff like that from when i used to be an art director um just back way way and when and it's something that i've always kind of like understood that you can't achieve stuff or what you want to do to its highest potential unless you you build that process you know, going forward, you know, you, you know, you know, it's to, and then it's, it's, then it's a trial and error thing. And you when you say, it. when you say process, what do you mean? Like, for instance, it's like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're doing your presenting job. So your process would be, you know, you come in, um, you know, the researchers would give you every single thing about the fighter that you need, you know, that, and, that would be a then, gift. <laughs> that, that, but, that's, that, but, that, but that's what I mean. But then on top of that, you do your own. So you go and, and, you know, fight week, you go interview the fighter that yourself, and then probably at the end, before you go on, and by that time, you've got their name twisted around, yeah. you know who their mom so is. In, you know in Bellator, they're... in Bellator, are the guys given, like, um, info packs of the fighter? I can't give you all that information. Sorry, mate. Oh that would be, 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 be a blessing. That would be a blessing. But, you know, I, I know what you mean, yeah. So I I, I, I learned on a job with Bam, and I, mm. I, I, I credit Bam so much because it gave me that experience. And yeah. and off the back of that, I, I met David Hay, who mm. I can't sing his... By, by 
by the way, I did actually have that information for you, but you just never asked me. <laughs> no, I think you did. I think you did. I think you did start sending me some stuff. But look, you know, yeah. I, it was it was just it's almost good to kind of jump in at the deep end on some stuff and just try and swim. You know, you're always going to sort of sink a little bit and you're going to take some big gulps of water, but it makes you learn. So it was, yeah. it was great. And so I think we started on, I think the first show I did was only stream because it was in between TV deals, but very quickly Dan was on, I think we're on five spike. Then we're on Dave. Mm. Then we're on, I think maybe channel five and then we're on um, ITV. So it was great. It was great to have that kind of stuff. Um, mm. And I met David Hay and I can't, thank David Hay enough and his team, Nicole and, and all those yeah. guys for the opportunities they gave me. So I met David and, and we got along and he was hosting Bamba with me and he was you know, great and we got to hang out. And then David was relaunching his boxing career. It was coming, coming back. Yeah. And, and, and I, don't know, I don't know why, but David was very open to me being part of that. So I was hosting press conferences for him and um, which again, started opening up the boxing world for me. And, and then he was very keen to have me involved in the broadcast of his shows. And he fought for that. David fought mm-hmm. for that. You know, the, the channels and I see their point. They were like, who's, who's this dude? Okay, he's yeah, done. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But, but can, he, can he hold this thing together? Oh, yeah. And he fought, and David fought for me. David and Nicole really, really fought for me. And I will forever, forever, forever be thankful for them because he didn't need to do that. He's preoccupied with a fight. He's preoccupied with doing that stuff. But David was like, I want Andy involved. I want Andy mm-hmm. as part of this. And... Doing those things was incredible. Great exposure for me, great experience for me. I got to stand next to someone like Matt Smith, who is watching someone like Matt Smith work as a presenter is a dream come true. Because mm. you know, I'm I'm like I'm like trying to when I'm presenting at that point, I was like, oh god, I've just got to keep talking, got to keep doing this thing. And he was so cool and calm and collected and just chilled. And I learned a lot from just on that one night. I did one fight with Matt. Uh, I learned a lot from him, which which was really really good. And I remember one of the fights I did. I was doing some backstage. Um, bits like I was interviewing Shannon Briggs backstage and things like that mm. and um it was a bit different to what I would normally do normally I'm sort of anchoring come by on, the chat. cage <laughs> yeah come on chat. Hey, one of the best things I, I get sent this out once a month because Shannon keeps using this um clip of me interviewing him uh, I think ringside and uh-huh. and I knew what I wanted to get out of him that night and I kind of pushed a few buttons with him and he gave me this uh, this spiel which a very inspirational spiel which he still puts on his instagram probably once a month now and was getting dms from people going oh you're the shannon sting and it's great um but, that, but it was that night i got so i got some so to bring you kind of full circle that night i got a few different things and i put it on my show reel and you update your show reel as a presenter and you try and show what you can do i've done travel stuff i've done anchoring i've done some backstage stuff and very shortly after the hay fight i was working with fullwell and i mm-hmm. was um asked to produce a sketch for James Corn's Late Late Show. Yeah. And, um, the guys at Full World knew that I was a huge wrestling fan, always had been. And they're like, oh, we got this sketch, and it's James Corn's parents going backstage at the O2 while WWE are here and just messing around. Can you produce it? Alongside um, and my friend David Suter was directing it, I was producing it, and I was like, yeah, for sure. Absolute dream job. So I went down there and um, got to do a sketch, and they WWE give you a producer, like their producer to work with us to help put things together and make things work. Right. And there's a, okay. a, girl there, a girl there called Kasama. And we met, became friends and she was cool. The whole of WWE team were cool. And I remember at one point that day, she gave me the belt to put on my shoulder and I got to climb up the ring. I was, I was like an absolute fanboy. I don't know why mm. I didn't get kicked out that day because I was an absolute fanboy. But we made this sketch and I remember I had Kasama's email address and I'd never thought about working with WWE. I thought about yeah. potentially... You know, I'd always loved the company. I was like, what opportunities would there be for me there? And I was like, maybe I could be a writer. You know, I, I make stuff, I write stuff, I've done a lot of that things. Maybe one day I could be a writer, that would be quite cool. I'd never, ever thought about being 
uh, you know, a, a broadcaster for them. I hadn't done any commentary, hadn't done anything like that. So I, I just, it wasn't even something I'd thought about, even though I loved the product, I loved the company. And then one day, I, I think, because I got this Shannon Briggs stuff, this backstage stuff on my, on my show reel, it looked a bit WWE-ish. You know, it was kind of hyped yeah. up and it was all that thing. It's like, okay, I've got, my show was, a, it's got a few layers to it now. So I, I eventually said to Kasama, hey, if somebody wanted to try and be, uh, you know, send a show off with you guys, who would it be? Took a little while, she came back, she gave me an email address, I pinged that through. And then conversation started. And it was, you know, I remember talking to, you know, Tom Phillips and Michael Cole and stuff. And I didn't know if they were just being nice to me because I was part of the James Corden setup and they were just sort yeah. of, you know, been giving me lip service. Oh, you know, just be nice to this kid. Uh, and we kept talking. And that was in 2016, I think. Um, so again, I've been trying to be a presenter since the start of 2010. <laughs> and, and we kept talking. And that was, I think, in the summer I talked to them. Out of nowhere, back into that year, the, they started doing this United Kingdom tournament over here. They yeah. started to, WWE started to branch out into the UK. And uh, Michael Cole called me. He was like, hey, you, you want to be part of this? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, have you ever done any ring announcing before? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, loads. I'd never done any ring announcing in my life. In my life. In my head, as I said <laughs> earlier, if I think I can do something or get away with it or justify it, I'll just yeah. say yeah. And I was like, well, I've been inside a boxing ring, a ring. I've had a microphone in my hand announcing, mm. and I've talked to interview boxers. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've done ring announcing. That's, I just said yeah, that. That's how I justified morally saying yes, I had. And it's yeah. like, cool, okay, um, you're hired. Here we go. Uh, be here on these dates, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. That was it. Amazing. That's amazing. That was in December. Um, yeah. in, in January, I, I remember I went, went to the press launch in December and I met Michael Cole for the first time. He took me into this little room. William Regal, I think, was there. And, and he introduced me to Triple H, who anyone who knows wrestling knows that Triple H is yeah. just the god of gods. And um, Triple H comes out and we have a quick chat. And he's just like, hey, man, just, uh, just don't fuck it up. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. No, that's the one thing I'm going to try not to. Um, Fast forward a month, we're in Blackpool. Um, we had a day of kind of rehearsals just to get everyone's feet a little bit wet before we kind of went live, and I was awful. I had to go and ring and ring announce. I just did what I thought ring announcing was, which is shouting. I remember they'd said to me, hey, like, you know, you're not like a wrestler at this point. You're, you're ring announcer. It's not about your personality about you doing this job. So mm. I thought, okay, don't have any personality. Just do this thing. And so I was, I, did, I just stood, I was stiff as a broom and just shouting some names. And I could see everyone, like all the producers, looking at each other and being like, oh, God, you've got a real turkey here. Um, and then I think Cole just shouted at me from the commentary desk, being like, Andy, relax, man. We hired you for you. Be you. I was like, okay. So I went away that night being like, oh, shit. Tomorrow night we are live around the world. Fuck, this is, <laughs> is going to suck. But I came, I came back and I think I just relaxed. I was like, I suddenly realized, don't try and be something. They hired no. me to be me. And yeah. then I just, I basically just shouted down a microphone at me and just was a bit looser and somehow got away with it. And then, you know, and since then I've just been so fortunate to be part of the growth of, of the brand that would eventually become NXT UK. And, you know, and they've been supportive. People like Michael Cole and, and Tom Phillips and Vic Joseph mm. and Mike Mansuri and a whole plethora of people have been so supportive over my time. And, you know, that's led to me, you know, recently having opportunities to do commentary and to, you know, host a whole bunch of other content for the guys, which is, again, it's a dream come true. It, it's a dream come true. But it's, it, you know, I, I remember I sat in the commentary desk, it was March of this year, 2020, and it was quite a surreal moment because it was yeah. 
10 years, just about 10 years, because it was January of 2010, I sent out my showreel for the first time. Yeah. And it was like, this is, you know, people talk about taking a decade and it's, you know, I'm, I'm still nowhere near what, where I want to be. There's so much more I want to achieve. But mm. I, I think in whatever you do, sometimes you've got to stop and, and take, you know, and, and look at where you've come to. And I think if 12-year-old me was looking at, you know, the opportunity I've been given and, and what I've been able to, to do, um, you know, just working with WWE. I remember when I did the first ring announcing, I was like, if I never get to work for this company again, you know, I've got to stand ringside with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And I can always say I work with WWE. So to still be, you know, three years later, to be having opportunities with them um, and to see this brand grow, like, I, I, I pinch myself. There's so much more I want to do, but I think you've sometimes got to stop and go, okay, look, you've, you've, you've done something. That's nice, man. That's nice, man. Well, listen, man, that, that's, that's been amazing. And we hit, like, Jesus Christ, it's just over an hour. <laughs> so we, can talk, an hour. we can talk, We can talk. I know, we can when talk. We can mate, talk. This is normally the warm-up with you and me. I mean, if you go get some Stellas and this is going to keep going for days. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. Listen, Andy, mate, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man, just hearing yeah, you your too. story, actually. It's, um, yeah, and, and good to see you. You're, you're well and healthy. Well, yeah. healthy. I mean, I put on about four kilos during uh, this time, so you know, I don't know. I don't know how healthy I am right now, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm COVID-free. Touchwood. <laughs> don't don't, don't oh, just pretend. Just pretend. Speaking <laughs> of uh, speaking of COVID, um, we uh, we always do a, a good vibe minute oh. uh, on the end of the show. So, um, if there's anything that you want to or advice to say to the world during this time, yeah, please do so now. I think it's. Everyone's, everyone's got different challenges right now. As we spoke about at the top of this podcast, everyone's going through different things. Um, you know, people are in different circumstances, some people are losing their jobs, people and all kinds of things. And I, I think if any, any, any advice to anyone right now is I think just to stop and, and see what is around you right now. I, I think we touched on it earlier in the show, but try and find little pleasures whether that's going out and, and buying a coffee, which you might normally take for granted, going out for a walk in a park, you know, conversations. I think a lot of the time people are, communicate by text and if anything, this time has opened up things like these conversations, to, to jump online with friends. You know, I, I've got friends in Australia, which we, we don't, haven't often talked in the last couple of years because of time differences. I'm picking up with those guys and you know, we're, we're setting time apart to have conversations and interact because it's the only choice right now. You know, you can't go out with other people. So you, you're setting dates. So I think it's try and find the silver lining. Try and find the enjoyment in things you would otherwise take for granted. And we're going to get through this, I hope. You know, we're going to get through this. We're going to get back to some kind of normality. When we do, try and hold on to those moments. Try and hold on to those the little joys. Try and take pleasure in those simple things that you're, you're finding now. Hold on to that as you move forward. Because, you know, the, the thing, hopefully now people are finding the things that really matter during this moment. And if you can hold on to those moving forward, then, you know, th there's some good to come out of this. Nice one. Listen, brother, thank you very much, awesome. man. Mate, thank Listen. you. Pleasure, pleasure to talk care, to you man. guys. Cheers, bro. I should see you on the other side. Yes, brother. Take care. Thank you, guys. Take Appreciate care, your time. Thanks a lot, yeah. Thank you. Take care, my man.